are listening to Enlight, the podcast for education, leadership, and innovative teaching. Hello, and welcome to this exciting episode of our podcast. Today, we have the pleasure of hosting Professor Micah Sarawain from HKUST's Division of Environment and Sustainability. Together, we'll explore the nuances of gamification and learning, debunk common misconceptions, and discuss how to effectively integrate gamified tools into classrooms for optimal learning outcomes. Stay tuned for an enlightening conversation you won't want to miss. Today, we are privileged to have the guest, Micah Sauerwein. She's a lecturer for the Division of Environment and Sustainability. Micah has done a lot of work in the area of gamification and game-based learning uh, within sustainability education. And I've invited her here today to talk a little bit about her work and um, what she's learned from her work, and just to talk about the impact that you've had within HKUST and possibly thinking about ways forward and what we can do. Uh, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for, yes. for having me. Yeah, it's, it's a pleasure to talk about these things that we normally don't often talk about, especially during COVID times, we don't have so many conversations. So happy to explore this format. Exactly. And I think this is this is what scholarship of teaching and learning is all about, is dialogue and talking mm -hmm. about it, right? And being able to share information. So I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about your work and tell us a little bit more about your use of gamification and game-based learning in your sustainability education courses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we use uh, gamification, or actually we use games. Uh, I, I don't do as much on gamification, uh, especially in the common core general education area. Um, so the specific courses or areas where I implemented it is uh, sustainability courses, my course on sustainable consumption, and also a seminar series that I do about life cycle thinking. And uh, yeah, so th these are areas where we have been embedding some of the games. I think some of these courses are already activity-based courses. So it was relatively easy to embed a game as one of the uh, activities. The games that I have been working with, are some of them are adopted from somewhere else. So for example, in terms of sustainability, one of the first games that we explored was called Fish Banks from MIT. Um, it's, it's a fantastic game that let students go fishing and uh, overfish the seas and experience the tragedy of the commons that happens if you overexploit uh, resources. Um, but then we also I was involved in uh, game development. Originally, actually, I was approached by a game developer who was wanting to develop a game on the area that I'm teaching on sustainability and sustainable consumption. So I started kind of advising the game development process and that inspired me a bit to, you know, explore more on that. And we came up with the idea of developing a life cycle thinking game as well. Um, and the reason for that was that I have to teach a lot of these seminars on life cycle thinking. And some of the students are really interested and some of the students less so, given that it's a zero credit compulsory course. So we were looking into gamification to kind of bring these concepts across in a, in a more engaging way for these students. In, in a way to motivate them in a sense. Right. So in, in that sense, I would say um, we have been using gamification for the, uh, for the more general education courses and also for those courses that are, for example, compulsory, but not grade based or something like that. Yeah, unfortunately, if it's not grade based, sometimes it's very difficult to motivate students. Uh, exactly. You get the ones that are interested, but how do you motivate those that aren't? 
you, you mentioned a lot of your courses were already about active learning and gamification seemed to be a good fit, mm-hmm. right? How do you find that the students uh, responded to this approach? I mean, we talked about motivation just now. Um, how, how do students respond to, to your approach? Mm-hmm. So I think in general, I have to say very positive. It's often at the end of the semester, if we ask the students to write some reflections or ask them for feedback, the games are very often uh, what the students refer back as one of the most memorable thing uh, throughout the class. So I think it is something that the students in general perceive as, as really, really positive. And um, I think it is also the nature of the classes uh, in terms of sustainability. A lot of it is not as much hard knowledge as it is raising awareness. And I think games are a really great way to put students into a certain you know, situation, experience certain things uh, that they wouldn't as easily see in real life or at least they wouldn't see all these connections. Mm. And I think the games are like mini simulations of real life mm. where they can really see, oh, what are some of the unintended consequences? And I think that's why uh, it, it's a perfect fit for sustainability, but also that's why the students kind of see this effect. So uh, in my understanding there here, it's authenticating the situation for them mm-hmm. in a sense, and it's allowing them to see the complexity of the topic that you're trying to teach them. Mm-hmm. And that, how do you see, is it having that impact? Are they able to see the complexity of sustainability and the issues around it because mm-hmm. of this? Mm-hmm. I do, I would say yes and no. Well, one thing is, of course, some people have awareness, but there's this, you know, they may even have an intention, whether they do it in the end may not be the case. So in some ways, it's like it's it's complex to implement certain aspects into your daily life. And it is something that we cannot measure. But when we did, uh, for example, with one of the games, we post surveys in terms of assessing what is the awareness and and the knowledge of students on certain topics. Mm -hmm. And we do see that it has quite a good effect on raising the awareness on, like, for example, aspects like resource depletion, how much can consumption contribute to certain, certain issues, how can actually consumption be redesigned in order to still make sure that we have what we need um, that we have what we makes us happy, but at the same time not overly exploiting uh, resources. So I think there is, to some extent, the students do do get that and uh, this kind of underlying principles behind. I do, however, also have to say that sometimes, um, especially for the life cycle thinking game, um, it was less about awareness and more about knowledge transfer, like getting the students aware of what is the life cycle, how do you build a life cycle, how does it contribute to environmental assessment. And I do have the feeling in that context, it was a little bit harder to make sure that the students learn it step by step, because sometimes in the game, they do realize it, but some of the students, they may skip certain steps um, due to the game nature, and then it is becoming a little bit more difficult to... I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that, because one of my key agendas in, uh, is, is in learning design and teaching design is to implement transferability, mm-hmm. right? And sometimes our lessons or course design or even our assessments don't really do that. They don't really help students see the transferability of what they're learning into a new context mm-hmm. or for the mm-hmm. next step or the next stage in their learning process. Mm-hmm. Uh, so from what I'm hearing from you is this is helping in that sense. Yeah, I think it is good for uh, when, when we did some assessments of games and compare that to Previous, like, for example, the seminar series that I'm um, giving, we compared how does the regular workshop without the game yeah. uh, compare to the game-based workshop uh, transfer knowledge and, and raise awareness. And we do see that the students get 
more motivated to say like, oh yeah, I want to explore life cycle thinking more in, you know, in my future studies and I want to learn more about it. But it fell short in terms of conveying the actual knowledge. So the students in, in terms of the feedback, um, and that is based on self, you know, on, on the perception. We didn't do comparison of, of assignments so far yet. Um, the students said that in terms of the retention of knowledge, um, the gaming was a little bit falling a bit shorter. So I think the motivation to continue engaging in that kind of topic is probably higher. Yeah. Um, and it's more memorable at the same time. It may not be the best way to convey as much knowledge uh, as quickly as possible. I think for sustainability in particular, a lot of it is based on, you know, raising the awareness and getting the students to follow up on particular topics in their own area um, where sustainability is relevant. And I think in that sense, the game approach uh, does help quite a lot to embed yeah, that. Absolutely. I can see this. So let, let's expand this beyond the classroom then. How can you share your experiences with colleagues or the wider community within Hong Kong? So we're talking mm -hmm. about your own courses right now. Mm -hmm. How might we share these in a wider community and within Hong Kong? Yeah. So I think I, I have been sharing uh, some of the game, especially the loop game. I mean, the loop game is a game about sustainable consumption. Mm -hmm. uh, it basically explores how... Um, how much do we need to consume to be happy? So it's basically giving uh, students points in the game uh, towards increasing happiness through strategic consumption, I would call it. Like, uh, how much do you need to buy? How do you experience activities? And how many resources do you need to enable you to experience activities or achieve certain goals? And uh, the key idea of the game is to minimize resource consumption um, through, for example, collaborative use of, of resources like sharing or recycling or reselling things um, and, and like that, achieving activities, but with, with less resources. So I think it is something that I shared this game uh, with some colleagues in, in our department and asked them whether we can implement the game uh, also after I tried it in my own class in another class that is reaching more students as we are a teaching team and collaborating on that. So we, um, I shared it with them and after trying that, they found it really nice. And mm. they also, uh, we embedded that and it has been running now for the past three to four years already. So it, it is pretty successful and the student feedback is really good. Other than that, uh, sharing at, at conferences, for example, you know, what we have been doing, especially if we have been evaluating the game. Of course, I, I think there more can be done in terms of sharing with a broader audience, especially now that things are opening up. Yes. I had to to go to more conferences. We also can go outside. to conferences again. Right, it's nice. Asia yes. or even, even go beyond that. Yeah. Um, but I, I do also feel that um, one thing in terms of sharing resources that I found tricky is that if you're sharing the same game, for example, with too many courses inside your university, the students come to your class and say, like, oh, I know this game. I have been playing that in the other course. So it's, it's, there's a limit of how much you can share it or in how many different courses you can implement it. If students, especially those who are really interested in the topic, may take the courses, you know, in a sequence. Right. So uh, accordingly, I think, and that is something that we are exploring right now, um, I think there's a lot of value in sharing it across campuses. Uh, and that is something that we are currently applying for funding and hopefully everything will go through um, where we can share it across institutions. So, for example, colleagues from another university here in Hong Kong uh, would be using our game. They shared their similar, you know, activity-based or gamification approaches with us. So to kind of share across the campuses, because these students definitely won't take the two courses in a row that have the same game. 
So I think there's a lot of value in, in testing that out across Hong Kong. And I hope this will go further. And I think, you know, that would be a nice thing to engage more instructors in, in using games and also using locally developed materials mm-hmm. before we then maybe pushing this forward to maybe also share with a wider audience uh, online. But I think at that point, things need to be really settled in terms of clear guidelines on how to use the game because you may not directly interact with the instructors anymore. They may just download it and read it and then need to be able to conduct it on their own. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're saying a lot here and I, I would love to unpack. There's so much that we can expand on, actually. Uh, one of the things, for example, mindsets, we talked about transferability already, right? But a lot of what you're talking about is really having an impact on the mindset of, of, of both students and teachers and how they approach the topic, right? Mm-hmm. And that's sometimes the biggest hurdle is changing people's mindsets. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned the community and you mentioned some of the dangers of being too repetitive, right? And how that might have an impact. For example, students might start gaming the gamification of, mm-hmm. of, of, of what you're trying to do, which then would lose the impact as well. But so opening it up wider to the community and trying to bring us up to speed. Well, I want I don't want to say up to speed because it's a little negative, but align with what other people are doing around the globe in, in this area. Uh, and so maybe I'll bring all this into one kind of question related to all those things is uh, how aligned is Hong Kong, do you think, with the rest of the world when it comes to sustainability education mm. and how we are trying to change the mindsets of students and and both teachers and how they teach the topic. Mm -hmm. Well, I have to say, I don't have a full overview of all different countries, but what I do see is that, um, so for example, for my area, when I look into life cycle assessment, which is one of the key areas that I'm teaching, life cycle thinking, it's basically a a way to assess environmental impacts and, and determine whether a product can be called sustainable or not. It's basically kind of the proof behind sustainability. I think Many of these kind of concepts, if I look into Europe or also North America, the concepts embedded much stronger. I saw that even in the high school curriculum, they have case examples on on embedding this kind of concept, which is a really important one for, for people to understand when we talk about sustainability. Here in Asia, I think there's less of that. It is something that is coming up, but there's still not as much expertise. And I guess it's not as much embedded yet in into education, mm-hmm. um, especially not as much in the undergraduate level. Even, I, I mean, people do the assessments, but often don't teach as much about the general concept behind that can actually be conveyed. In terms of sustainability education, I think also there's, you know, it, it is growing here in Asia. Um, I think in general, the mindset of sustainable consumption, for example, where I'm in uh, is very different if you compare, for example, Europe, where I come from, and mm-hmm. Hong Kong specifically. Um, where people have a different mindset of what do they want to achieve in life. Uh, everything is very consumption driven. So if you tell people about sustainable consumption, it sometimes seems to some of them more contradicting. So I think in that case, there's more to do in that area. But I do see also, you know, other colleagues around that they are starting to teach about this and, and that there are great initiatives also around Asia. And I do think that especially here in Asia, our students are very interested in games. A lot of the students, when I ask them, do you play games regularly? We normally get like 40 to 50 percent of the students who do that. So I think there's a lot of potential for gamification in sustainability education, particularly here in Asia. Yeah, excellent. If you enjoyed this podcast, subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Enlight is on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Amazon Music, Stitcher, and many more. 
Now, let's get back to the conversation between Dr. McMinn and Professor Sauerwine. So far, we've delved into the crucial role of supporting materials and structured debriefing in educational gamification. It's not just about playing a game and winning an award, as some might believe. Moving ahead, we'll explore the importance of understanding the current landscape of sustainability education across different campuses. We also discuss the expansion of a community of practice as the university continues to grow. A lot of this, as you mentioned earlier, is about community and working with people and collaborating to improve on this idea. Been leading that area within Hong Kong and setting up a community of practice. So I'm wondering if you can maybe discuss the significance of the sustainability education communities of practice that you've helped set up in Hong Kong and what's your role in this development? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So this community of practice on sustainability education, uh, we started that here. Well, it's mainly at HKUST, and we started that back in 2017. At that point, we wanted to engage and, and see like what kind of people do we have on campus who are interested in sustainability education or probably are already doing something related to sustainability education. And we found that right from the launch event, there was a group of 50, 60 people interested. It was faculty, but also staff and postdocs who came to these meetings. And we had a lot of discussion about what should sustainability education look like? What are the challenges that we face? shared uh, experience in terms of how to address this. And we also had um, some people who, you know, who wanted to follow up more and develop more teaching resources. I have to say it's always easier to say you want to do something than finding the time to actually do it. So uh, we, we found out through that community that there's a, a great engagement and there's a great interest in, in doing more. And that's why it's so important to get people together, but also like to, to point them towards resources, like, for example, student funding, uh, where they mm. can get more support or can even hire an RA or a case writer, like what we did for one of the um, or some of the people in, in the community of practice, they decided to write cases about sustainability. So these cases, they, they submitted a teaching development grant and uh, eventually hired a case writer who was helping them to work with instructors to write up different kind of case studies okay. that can be used in class. And I think that was something that was one of the key learnings that people often came and said, oh, yeah, great, let's do this. But once the meetings were over, people didn't have as much time. So it's really important to set up the, the right structures um, and, and keep people engaged so that you know, this becomes more constructive. So I think it's something that we started here at HKUST. I think this community of practice has been kind of falling asleep a little bit over COVID. Um, it was in, initially we were very insecure. It's like, can we get people together at all on Zoom? Yes. Um, in the beginning, it was also that we had the feeling everybody's so busy with transitioning to online. There was not too much mental capacity left to think about how can we further develop. People were just struggling with getting their status quo moved online. Um, so that's why two years later, we, we decided it, it would be great to you know, get, get, people, get people back involved uh, for those people that we had. But also we had a lot of sustainability education related elements um, added at the university level, uh, given the societal trends as well. So we think there's new faculty, there are new people coming that could be involved in, in this. And... Um, Two years back, we also established a sustainability education working group in the Hong Kong uh, Sustainable Campus Consortium, mm -hmm. uh, which is like a collaboration between the eight universities, uh, UCOM universities here in Hong Kong. And that sustainability education working group, we, we try to unify, uh, like get faculty from all campuses to 
assess first what is there in terms of sustainability education and what courses do we have. And mm -hmm. we, we started making inventories of different kind of courses that are taught on different campuses. The next step, we would really like to get more engaged with faculty and, and see like who is doing what on different campuses and see whether we can get more collaboration between these faculties that we have now um, identified. Yeah. Well, that's great. I mean, first off, you're absolutely right. It's nice that we can get back face to face and doing things, right? Uh, when I wanted to start up this podcast, I thought about doing it through Zoom. Uh, and I thought, no, face to face is much better, right? Mm -hmm, it, mm -hmm. It's just more personal. Coming back to this community of practice that you're working on, being able to continue it and start it up again in this sense. And, and you're talking about curriculum design, you're talking about pedagogic design, you're talking about the whole idea of getting the need for embedding sustainability into the curriculum across the board uh, and with different universities. Now, within UST, we, UST itself is expanding, right, in the Greater Bay area and with Guangzhou and that. Do you see this also playing a role across campuses? Do you plan to COP to be a part of that as well? Mm -hmm. Any thoughts? Well, we definitely want to explore that. I, I guess that's one of the big things on the agenda. I think we need to look more into what are the courses offered. And I think there's also uh, from, from CEI a lot more engagement now on mixed mode and exploring how can we embed people because we do understand that there's a physical distance and it is unlikely for people just to come over for a meeting. Um, so I think we we need to think about how do we make what we are offering accessible for people also from the other campus. Um, but maybe first of all, evaluate more what is what is there already and uh, who is interested. Previously, when we launched, I think people just came along to the launch event and then mm -hmm. they said, oh, this might also be interesting for my colleague. Um, I will forward him the information uh, or her. I think that is how it spread. I guess if people are not there for these kind of events, it is more difficult. So I think we definitely have it on the agenda uh, to do more engagement. Um, I do understand that there's a lot of research focus also um, in Guangzhou. So I think that we need to explore in terms of sustainability education, um, where are the needs? How can we connect people uh, across campuses? Yeah. So I mean, this is all actually very interesting. I mean, how do you see the integration of sustainability education and gamification and the community of practice? How do you see this or where do you want to see this going in the future? Mm -hmm. My wish would be that people really become uh, open towards sharing materials or have the courage to share. Sometimes it's you, you develop something, but you think like, OK, this is fair enough, but I'm not, I'm not really willing to share or I'm not sure what other people think. Um, but I think to have like a safe space where people can present, get some feedback, share what they have been doing, uh, find new collaborators, probably even um, to to share. So I think I'm I'm a big fan of, of sharing resources because I have seen so many great resources that I could embed into my classes, especially when it comes to sustainability teaching and gamification. Mm -hmm. And I think um, for these kind of games, many of them, they translate over borders. Um, it's, it's nothing that is, you know, Hong Kong specific context. So I think there's a lot of opportunity for, for sharing more of these resources. Um, but I do think it is really, really important to have good guiding materials like just putting a game online may not enable instructors in other places to really use these tools. Um, so I think there needs to be more support for um, us as instructors to clarify, okay, what kind of supporting documents do you may want to put up together with the game in order to ensure that somebody else could be utilizing it. So the sharing element, I think, would be one, but also making things accessible and yeah, supporting instructors to make it easy to put things out there if they wanted to. Yeah, and it's also about learning design, right, in that sense. So it's just sharing it isn't enough. It's about talking about how do we make use of this? How do we follow up with it? Exactly. With the, 
uh, impact on the whole process of a learning pathway. Right. right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A sharing, sharing curriculum or like a lesson plan, debriefing questions uh, if it comes to the game is also often very important. So I think these kind of how can you embed it? What can you get out of the game? Yeah. Uh, and, and these kind of things, uh, supporting material. Yeah, sometimes I wonder if this uh, it, this might be a misconception of a lot of uh, people in our field when they hear gamification or gamifying. They think it's just playing the game and, and, and they get an award and that's it, right? And so they become skeptical of gamification, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. it doesn't work because yeah. of that. Yeah. But it's so much more, isn't it? Yeah. Well, the thing is also, I think it really depends on the game as well. It's interesting that you bring this up because we are currently running a research where we are comparing how does the games that we developed, particularly uh, the loop game, given that it is a game that is also commercially available, so you can go out and, and buy it. Yeah. And so if people play it in a casual setting, like with their friends, would they be able to get something out of the game and learn something from the game? And we compare it to students who actually use the game in class. Given that it's a serious game uh, and, and the game mechanics, I think, are quite well designed. So we do see that even students who play it without any debriefing uh, and, and any particular introduction to sustainable consumption can take something out of the game and, and do get some, you know, gain some awareness. But I think it is something that may be less so for other games. It really depends on how the game is designed. And for mm -hmm. some games, you really need a very structured, a lot more debriefing in order for the students to make sense of it. They may have missed one of the points and only going backward and saying like, ah, right, that is what happened. Right. Um, so I think it is, it depends on the nature of the game. Some might be, you play it and you think, ah, okay, interesting. But for many of them, you really do need um, supporting materials for the students to really reflect on it. Um, may it be in a debriefing or other ways of getting the students engaged or, or reflecting it on, on, on their own. Exactly. And you really need that professor or the educator to be there to help facilitate that learning process, yes. right, in order to capitalize on the benefit of the game. Yes. And I think that is one of the, the key um, problems or the key challenges with gaming that Students could easily go out and say like, okay, fun game, thanks, and yeah. leave and then say like, okay, I have no idea what you were talking about, but this was fun, Yes. right? And I think that with, with Lifecycle Game, this is something that we um, that we saw a bit more that the students wouldn't really think about the topic matter as much. So we are currently thinking of how can we really embed certain of the elements or debrief. Actually, we are less working on the game, but rather on the debriefing mm. in terms of saying like, how can we extract some of the information from the game back into real life, into the post-game discussion, um, maybe translate some of the numbers into real numbers and showing the students a chart to kind of make a better connection and make the debriefing in a way that it can compensate for some of what the game has been, you know, not been able to capture. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. I really enjoyed this conversation and I wish you all the best for the community of practice that you, you're expanding on in that. And uh, hopefully we can hear more about the success of your gamification in the future. And I'd be really interested to learn more about this comparison that you said uh, that you're looking at with whether or not they're just playing the game outside of the classroom and then the difference between it being facilitated, because I think this could add to our knowledge and understanding of how well gamification can work in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. Very thank much. you so much for the invitation. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Enlight, brought to you by the Center of Education Innovation of HKUST. We hope you found today's episode insightful and thought-provoking. Enlight is produced by the team at CEI, hosted by Dr. Sean McMinn, graphic design by Ling Wong, sound design by Ken Yu, 
And a big thank you to our editorial team, Beatrice Chu, Amy Chong, Crystal Luo, and Yui Lam. Thank you again for listening to Enlight, and we look forward to bringing you more engaging conversations in the future.